This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shot flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. This is This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, and I am the host of this syndicated radio show. It is heard each and every day on Max Sports Channels and also on the 405 Media, the talk alternative. Great stuff for that. we got a lot to cover. 
We'll be here for the next 25 minutes doing just that and joining me to talk all about that. Please welcome from Scotland. Craig Doyle is in the house. Craig, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Phil. Uh, a little busy this week, but delighted to be joining you here once again for the show. Yeah, I'm a little busy too, but uh, it is what it is. And you know what? We got some uh, bad news for the world of tennis. A couple of people passed away this week. Vic Braden being one of them. If you don't know who Vic Braden was, you probably aren't really that into the tennis industry because Vic Braden was a tremendous asset to the tennis community. He was a friend of mine, and he will be sorely missed, Craig. Yeah, he certainly will. Um, just you know, it's a, it's always sad when someone passes away, um, especially someone who's been such a a big part of a, a sport or a, an industry like this. And, uh, you know, just like to take a few moments to send our thoughts out to those who, who knew Vic Braden. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, perhaps you want to lead away with this one, uh, since you, you knew him a little bit better than I did. Probably a lot better, but that's not the point. I just was wondering what you thought, and here's the deal. Vic Braden did a lot for the industry. He taught a lot. He worked with people. He was one of the nicest people around. Um, he didn't big time anybody either, and he was big time. You know, maybe people didn't like him because he was big time because there is some jealousy in the industry. It really does happen. Um, but the honest to goodness truth is that he was a fantastic individual. He played a little pro tennis. He graduated from Kalamazoo College. He was a basketball coach. He had all kinds of things that was going on. He was actually a teammate of Jimmy Everett. That's Chris Everett's father, in case any of you folks don't know, and George Ritchie, who was the father of Cliff and Nancy Ritchie. You tennis fans out there will know those names. If you don't know those names, Google them. But honestly, he was fantastic. He did a lot about the science of tennis, the psychology of tennis. He studied it. He played on Jack Kramer's tour. He hung out sometimes in uh, Vegas with Poncho and the rest of them, and it was a lot of fun being around them. He helped out so many tennis players it wasn't funny. Jack Kramer said this in 1986 about him. He said, one Vic Braden is worth a lot of champions in helping the sports. The John McEnroe's, the Borgs, the Connors, they've been great, but I don't think any one of them has created the interest in the sport that Vic did, and that's important. Vic Braden may not have been a tennis champion, but he was a champion at promoting the sport. You know, I remember one time, Craig, somebody chastised me. I wasn't a real tennis coach because I wasn't coaching a famous tennis player. Well, Dick Braden didn't either. But here's the thing. It takes guys like us to go out there, and I'm not comparing myself to Vic Braden because Vic Braden was heads and tails above me, but it takes us grassroots guys. We're the ones who develop those guys that some of these people fawn over. So <laughs> end of story with that. Vic Brain will be missed, Craig. Yeah, it'll be missed massively. And for those who, you know, perhaps want a little bit more insight into Vic Braden, I do believe that he has a number of publications out there. That's uh, books for those of us living in the digital world. Um, th those can be picked up. Uh, if you just search under Vic Braden, I'm, I'm sure you'll turn them up. And um, I think he also has a few instructional videos out there, uh, tennis instructional videos, uh, one actually including Pancho that um, people might be able to dig up if they look deeper into Vic Braden. Well, absolutely. They, there's plenty of stuff out there. You know, he, he did a lot of teaching, and he uh, spent a lot of time 
helping a lot of people play better tennis, and that's really what it's all about. He was the coach of the year for the USPTA at one time. He's also in the International Tennis Hall of Fame, Tennis Educational Merit Award in 1974, the Orange County Hall of Fame Lifetime Achievement Award as a sports writer, contributing most to tennis in America by the USTA. The guy's done it all. He's done a lot for the sport. He did a lot for the sport. And we're going to miss Vic Braden. Craig, I don't know if you knew who Shelly Solomon was, and I'm sure a lot of people probably the first time they heard about her was the other day when news came out of her untimely and unfortunate and much too soon passing. Did you even know that she was a tennis player? I didn't know until I picked up the article the other day um, that you sent me, actually. Yep, I put it on my Facebook. Shelly Solomon was someone that played on the tour, someone that I met. She played at UCLA. I believe she was a two-time college All-American. I think she got to around the top 60, top 70 of the female tennis world. She was a pretty good tennis player, but she was an even better person. And, And it's sad that she passed away. The circumstances of her death, to me, aren't as important. I, you know, I spent so much time in Greece, 12 years, Craig, that the Greeks have a saying, it's not how you died, but did you live? And, and you know what? Shelly Solomon lived. And I met her, jeepers, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, out in Vegas. I believe she was with her former husband at the time, but she was playing on a tour, and I hit with her like three straight days. She was fantastic. She was a nice lady. Um, she was funny. She was charming. She was uh, just a fantastic human being. And, you know, she did a lot. And people will say, well, she didn't really win any titles on the tour. And who gives a damn about that? See, tennis is a great sport. And tennis, what tennis does, Craig, and I don't know how much you played as a junior, but what tennis does is it teaches you how to fight and how to succeed. And it teaches you that sometimes life isn't fair. And what what invariably happens, and there are researches, research out there to back it up, is that tennis players who play at the junior level and who play throughout their life usually succeed far better than their peers who don't. And, and Shelly Solomon was one of those persons who succeeded. She finished her tennis, and she went on to graduate from law school and she did a lot for this world that we live in and it's a real shame that she decided to leave us so soon and and I'm really kind of sad about it but I'm more sad for the kids that are left behind she has four children and all the people that she touched throughout her life and there are so many I can't even count them and, and that's a beautiful testimony to a wonderful life. We're going to miss Shelley Solomon. Yeah, we are. And it's a, a very tragic story. And I don't think we want to touch on the details here on this show. But uh, when I was reading it, it, you know, you just you take a minute to think. And, uh, you know, as you said, she's got four kids that she's leaving behind. Um, tragic news. And uh, it's great, you know, that you're, you're able to such a a nice spin on the life of Shelley Solomon, uh, the people she touched, the um, influence she had on people, um, her place in the game, and uh, you know it's great that people can recognize that. 
Well, and that's just it, you know, because you read so much of this stuff and people are questioning all these things they shouldn't even question because we're never going to get an answer for. Rather than that, let's look at what good this lady did in her life. A lot of people are a lot better off today because Shelley Solomon existed. And, and I think that's the story that's being lost. And I know the people closest to her are grieving and asking themselves lots of questions. And no, we're not going to talk about how it happened or even why it happened, because we don't know. No one's ever going to know what led to that tragedy. But what we do know is what she left behind. And it's an incredible legacy that I don't want to see tainted by something that happened. It was a decision, something that took a minute to do. You understand? A minute does not define your life. And we want to focus on the great that she did. And there's far more greater things and that we don't even have time to talk about. And that makes me sad that we don't. But bottom line is the tennis world, the world in general, lost a champion in Shelly Solomon. And she'll be missed. And we send our heartfelt condolences to her kids, to her family, and to her friends, the ones who knew her best. It's going to be a very difficult time, but just remember that as she left you a legacy, and it's up to you to carry it on, and I'm sure that you will. All right, Craig, you know what? We get a lot of questions around here, but uh, before we get into them, Fabio Fognini went bananas this past week, and I don't understand why my boy Fabio did it. It must be the Italian blood, Craig. Oh, it, it so is, Phil. I mean, I know a few Italian guys, and you know, one minute... They're playing sports regular. They're, uh, you know, they're competitive, and then when things start to go wrong, the the temper, the the outrage, the, the fiery outbursts. It's uh, very characteristic of many of uh, the, the Italians in sport. Um, and Fabio is not one of one of those as an exception. He's uh, he's always had that edge to him, that little bit of a extra drama and excitement that he brings, whether he's slamming a racket across the court in frustration or berating someone in the crowd or an official or, you know, he's no stranger to that. So uh, it's not really a surprise to uh, to see the, the incident in China where he uh, made a rather obscene gesture towards the crowd upon exiting the stadium. Well, they gave him a hard time, you know. He shoved this kid, Wang Shuhan, and uh, gave him a little bit of an elbow on the way out. And uh, the fans didn't like it, so they gave him a hard time, and he gave him the finger. You know, it happens. He got fined 2000 bucks. It happens. You know what? I would have been pissed off if I'd have lost to Wang Shuhan, too. I mean, who wouldn't be? But it's all about self-control, and sometimes we lose it, and that's the difference between the great champions like Roger Federer, who you don't see that happen very often with, and kids like Fabio Fognini, and it is what it is. But at least we had something to talk about a little bit there with that Shanghai tournament, and it's it's the way it is. It's it's funny, man. It was it's just hilarious. The way he bounced that racket off the court, yeah, it brings back memories. Uh, I can't get on guys for doing that. I've done that hundreds of times. I've busted more rackets than most of the groupies out there will own, ever own. So, I mean, it is what it is. But, uh, boy, Fabio's 2000 bucks lighter, and it won't hurt him because he's done pretty well over his career. Hopefully it doesn't dog him, you know. That's the whole thing. And hopefully the folks out there who don't like him and who 
pay to see him play don't incite him to do it again because my oh my you just never know with young fabio <laughs> well you never know he might throw the racket up the stand next time um he, i'm sure he threatened to do something similar at wimbledon uh, earlier in the year where he was fined a lot of money for threatening to uh hit someone with a racket an official or you know he made some off off the the cuff comment that I'm sure that his wallet really regrets and his uh, bank manager really regrets. But uh, as you said, he's a wealthy individual. Um, he can afford the fine. Uh, he seems to collect the bad publicity. But uh, let, let's hope... In fact, no, let, let's ask a question. Do you, do you feel yourself that um, Fabio's actions bring that extra little bit of spice and drama to the game that perhaps is missing in a lot of these opening round encounters? I'm not saying do you condone his actions, but you know, do you think a little bit of excitement like that just gives the tournament a little bit more edge, better viewership perhaps? Sure. I think it's great for the game in a way. I don't condone that behavior. No, of course not. But you know what? Uh, you got to see some passion out there. And it's something that seems like it's missing. A lot of people say this is a sport of robots. And in a lot of ways, they might be right. You know, you've got these guys, they all play the same way. I know some people out there will disagree with me, but it is what it is, you know. Um, we all have our opinions. Some of us get paid for them, and most of them don't. But that's either here, neither here nor there. I, I don't mind that kind of stuff every once in a while. You know, they get fined, they have to pay. Somebody has to do that. That's how the retirement fund gets jacked up. So, I mean, God bless them. But uh, giving the finger to the fans... You know what? Maybe that's a little above and beyond. I, there are a bunch of fans that I've given the finger to, too, you know, because they're not really fans. And, and here's the thing. He gave a guy an elbow. He shouldn't have done that, all right? He deserved to get hooted on for doing that. He probably shouldn't have given the finger to them. But John McEnroe would have done the same thing. Lots of guys would have. They're really lucky that he didn't go in the stands and just start kicking their asses because that's possible, too. And we don't want to see that either. But... Hopefully, he doesn't end up in the stands because we all know how things work. When he's out on the court and things don't go his way and he smashes another racket, people are going to boo him. And they're going to be going after him because they know they can goad him. And, and that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. But, yeah, I think it's pretty – it gives some spice to the game. It's a lot better than talking about Andy Murray's choice of coaches because you can do that all day long because he changes his coaches like some people change socks. I mean, it just is what it is. But I don't mind. I don't condone that behavior, but I don't mind seeing it. Craig, we got to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to try to figure out what to do with Davis Cup. And I'm going to answer a, call, a question about how, how to hire a tennis coach. And we'll be right back. You're listening to This Week in Tennis. Been dreaming of that Greek vacation? Well, if you have, then you might want to check out the folks at the Oridi Grand Hotel, located in beautiful Corfu, Greece. Come experience world-class cuisine as well as the hospitality that Greece is legendary for at the Aridi Grand Hotel. You can find them at aridihotel.com or email them at reservations at aridihotel.com. TalkSuperstation.com That's right, the superstation of talk. Talking to you each and every day. We have a lot to talk about. Monday. Government is not the answer. Health is the answer. 
Hey guys, I'm here. Tuesday. The Yankees are always good. We are going to go for old timers now. I think I feel. I'm a Mets fan. We have clothes pinned down. Wednesday. You and I are staying put. Thank goodness, because I have uh, no socks on, and uh, staying put is what I need to do. Thursday. I would love Martin to Feed actually decided to run for president. I would vote for him. Friday. You know how hard it is to get a topic not about sports on ESPN Radio? It's about as hard as me introducing sports on this show. Saturday. It's time to party. And Sunday. How can we respect anyone in Washington, D.C.? Every day, we talk to you. Sit back and enjoy this. TalkSuperstation.com. Talk spoken here. Stitcher Smart Radio is an award-winning, free mobile application that lets you listen to your favorite shows and discover the best of news, entertainment, and sports on demand. Now you don't even need a Wi-Fi or a cell connection to listen to shows like The Phil Nation Show. Never miss another show. It's real simple. Just go to Stitcher.com and download the free app today. And never miss another Phil Nason Show. Hi, this is Phil Nason's from This Week in Tennis and the Phil Nason Show. Max Sports Channels offers the best in sports talk radio, as well as great music 24 hours a day. It's my daily destination, and I hope it's yours. The sports talk begins each and every day at 3 p.m. and ends around 9 p.m., Special programming on the weekends. And in between all that, the hottest music on the internet. That's Max Sports Channels. Make it your daily destination. Welcome back to This Week in Tennis. You know, we get a lot of questions around here, Craig. Craig Doyle's here from CraigDoylePhotography.com. Craig, we get a lot of questions. Now, this one was actually designed... I guess for me in mind, um, they want to know how to hire a tennis coach. And I guess I'm assuming that this person, did, they didn't actually tell me what level they played at, but it is what it is. I mean, hiring a coach is hiring a coach. And I wrote, I, I referred them to this uh, PDF I have out there. I gave a, gave a free ebook of all my published tennis articles. I put it all in one little package over at Phil Nason's Tennis. But, uh, I guess the biggest thing if you're going to hire a coach, Craig, is you want to know what you want to accomplish. And a lot of people don't. And that's the first thing I ask them is, what do you want out of this relationship? Because that's what it is, whether you're coaching a five-year-old or a 50-year-old. And it's important that you as a student need to understand what it is you want to accomplish before you even start looking. Because not every tennis teacher, and I'm sure I'm going to catch hell for this, but not every tennis teacher can do it all, nor are they meant to. I mean, if you want to work on, if you're going to a coach that you want to work on your serve, you go to a coach who specializes in those types of things. You know, it's great that you can teach forehand and he's got a great forehand as a teacher and great way of teaching it. But if he can't help you with your serve, you're really giving your money away for nothing. So you want to decide what it is you want to accomplish. And after you've done that, I guess the best thing for me to tell you would be this. Go and actually watch a teacher teach an adult lesson or or whatever age group it is. If you're a parent, go watch him teach. Go watch him or her, I should say, get in trouble. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble today, Craig. 
But uh, you want to go watch this teacher. You want to see how they teach. And if you can learn from them, you know, we all learn differently. I think that's something that Vic Braden brought out years and years ago. We all learn differently. Some coaches are more demonstrative. Others are more vocal. Some don't say anything. You know, it just depends. And you want to be with a teacher that, first of all, you can actually learn from. So you want to watch how they do things. You also want to ask questions. You know, getting a resume, who gives a bad, who, who writes bad stuff on the resume? Nobody. I mean, you can Google people, but even Google will screw you because you can't really learn about a person because you don't know if that person has an enemy and he's writing crap. You never know. So you have to just basically go to people who know them. And, and I guess you want to figure out this. Does the pro teach a player or as an individual or is the pro trying to make a clone out of themselves? You know, you don't want to be a clone out of a teacher. You know, you want a, a teacher who can take you as the individual and make you the best Craig Doyle you can be on a tennis court. And you don't need another Phil Nason's trying to be Craig Doyle. It's or Craig Doyle trying to be me. Although that might help your game a bit, it won't be you. <laughs> or probably in your case, Craig, it would hurt your game. But uh, And then we also have... Uh, you know, how fast is this lesson? You know, I watched a lot of guys in Greece and they spent 40 minutes of the time talking to the student and another 15 minutes teaching them. Craig, I saw guys out there who were teaching who shouldn't have been teaching anybody. They were raking in money, though, because they would just run these lessons forever and these people would not even be able to hit a tennis ball over the net after 15 lessons. I mean, it was embarrassing. But you want to make sure is what they do. Watch them. Do they spend a lot of their time explaining why they're doing what they're doing? If they are, maybe you don't want to be there. Unless, of course, that's what you want to do, and then by all means do it. If that's how you learn best, then do it. And then the final thing, I guess, is the pro demanding. Is he critical? He or she critical? Are they encouraging? Are they enthusiastic? Do they have passion? You know, those observations are important, Craig. And then the main thing you want to try to do while you're watching all this is envision yourself taking a lesson with this pro. And, and you want to ask yourself, can you learn from this person? Because you're, learn, you're paying them to learn or to teach you. So you want to make sure you can do those things. You know, word of mouth, again, is pretty good. It's, and then what you want to do is when you interview this person, and that's what you want to do, you want to interview him or her. You want to... Make sure that you discuss the following with them. You want to make sure that you discuss the amount of money and time you're willing to spend on your game. What you're looking to accomplish in your short and long-term goals. These are important too. You want short and long-term goals and if you want to make sure you have a coach that agrees or disagrees with them. And listen to this person, by the way. That's why you're going to them. Then you want to be able to tell the pro how you like to learn and ask him or her if she can teach you that way. If they can't teach you the way you learn best, then there's no point in being there spending that money. And then you want to ask about certifications if they hold them. You know, they're not necessary, but a certified pro is usually your best bet. That's generally what I would do, Craig. Yeah, I, th I found that very intriguing. There's a lot, a lot of good points in there, and I would recommend anyone listening to that perhaps listen to it a few times if they are considering hiring the pro because there's a lot of information just passed uh, over the airwaves in the last few minutes, a lot of good information. 
Um, one thing I would like to echo is that knowing what you want is absolutely essential, not just in hiring a tennis coach, but pretty much most things that you do. I mean, you know what you want, and um, you know, I'll, I'll ask you this: if someone came to you and they, they knew what they wanted, and uh, they came to you, maybe came for two or three lessons, didn't feel what that they were getting what they wanted. Do you recommend then that they just, you know, say, look, this isn't working out for me. I go somewhere else. Um, or do you, you know, change up your lesson plan to try and accommodate them? As a teacher? As a teacher. If they don't, if they're not learning anything and it's not working out, of course they should go. I mean, how can, when you say I accommodate them, what do you mean by accommodate? How, how do you describe, explain that a little more simpler? Because I'm not as clever as you are. <laughs> well, um, obviously, tennis is an industry. It's a business. Having students is uh, in the same way, you know, kids learn to drive or whatever. You know, the driving instructor has students. The method with which you teach is obviously uh, what you've learned. Um, if some kid comes along and, as you said, perhaps they want to improve their backhand and they feel that uh, your method of teaching is not improving their backhand, do you feel that it's then... Uh, down to yourself to try an alternative method of conveying that information on how to improve their backhand, or do you feel that then you know a coach should say, "Look, you know, I, I can't do this. You, you know, if you're not learning from me, perhaps you should try another coach." Or do you you know try to keep the business, try to change what you're doing, and try to make changes that way? Well, I wouldn't change the uh, fundamental stuff that I'm trying to teach because that's what I teach. But I would definitely try to reach them a different way. Of course, it's a business and <laughs> you want them to stick around. But sometimes it just doesn't work out and for whatever reason. And yeah, you let them go. And yeah, you don't no, badmouth them when they leave either. No, no, of course not. My, just my interpretation of uh, you know, some of the best teachers I've had are people who you know, they'll teach you. And if you're not getting something or you know, something's not working out, they can... Take your side, explain it another way, try try something different, try a different drill, try a different exercise, you know, maybe stop the session, show videos, you know, just a different teaching method. I always find that, uh, you know, the top coaches are these days uh, are well ahead on their methods of teaching and are uh, good people, people, people as well, if you want to put it that way. Absolutely. And being flexible is important. Yes, that's part of teaching. You're absolutely right. You know, the technique doesn't usually change. But, again, you have to be flexible. Some people don't learn certain ways, and they like it a different way or whatever. So, yeah, of course, you try to accommodate them. And if you can't, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. But uh, these are the things that if you're clever when you're hiring these people, you've already seen what you can learn from them. And when you discuss all these things prior to hiring this coach, these are the things that they should be talking about. And if they can do that. And, and get it out of the way at the beginning so everybody's on the same page. Because at the end of the day, what you want as a teacher is to grow the game. You don't want somebody to walk away from the game because you couldn't get them to where they wanted to be or they couldn't learn from you. You have to sometimes be humble and just let some people go. You know, <laughs> Not everyone can coach everyone. If that were the case, there would only be one they could clone us. And that is what it is. Now, Craig, we've got one more question. And this one, they'll, we'll let you talk this time a little bit. Um, what do you think? How do we, uh, the listener asked, how do you guys fix Davis Cup? If it were up to you, how would you fix Davis Cup? Go ahead. Well, it depends what they mean by fix Davis Cup. Are they 
insinuating that it's not exciting or it's just uh, limited to a few players or, or something like that? I would assume that they think it's boring and no one's watching. Okay, well, I've always considered that um, one of my favorite sporting events on not the annual calendar, but favorite sporting events is golf's Ryder Cup. Uh, for some reason, it just draws out the passion of the supporters. It brings in a massive crowd. It engages the players. It fires people up. It is an absolute spectacle. Now, obviously, we can't quite borrow the format from Ryder Cup because, well, the first issue is that uh, Ryder Cup's America versus Europe and American tennis at the moment perhaps isn't in the best condition to be taken on the whole of the European nation. But I think if we can get some sort of tournament, similar format, maybe 12 players on each side or 10 players on each side, two teams, um, bring everyone together at a location for a week or uh, six days, five days, something like that, play a series of matches, get the crowd passionate, get them behind it. Um, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of mileage in that kind of model. Maybe something like France, Spain, Switzerland, let's call it Central Europe, would play against the rest of the world. You know, that, that would allow you to have the likes of Rafael Nadal, Joe Wilfred Songa, Roger Federer, all on the same team. Um, and then the rest of the world, you'd have your Novak Djokovic's, your Thomas Berdic's, your Andy Murray's, um, John Isner, whoever you like. Um, you bring that together, let's say um, Madison Square Garden or or somewhere like this, or, or, or maybe even in Paris or Madrid or something like that, whatever. You, you, you sell the tickets for a week-long tournament. You have a series of singles matches and doubles matches, and you play for points. Um, and at the end of the day, whoever has the most points wins. I, I think it would be uh, the one tournament with the the stars of tennis, the, the top sort of 20, you know, the top stars from the top 20 names that people recognize all playing in this one big tournament as part of a team event with the uh, rapturous noise coming down from the crowd that's backing the players. I, I think it's, uh, it's a much, much better idea that engages the supporters, that engages the fan base more than the, the current Davis Cup because the current Davis Cup as I mentioned at the start of this uh, little monologue, is kind of limited to a couple of nations across the world that have a few elite players, or at least one elite player and one strong player, which at the moment, you know, has left us with over the last few years with the likes of Spain, Serbia, Switzerland this year, uh, France, um, United States in previous years. It, it, it's very limited, and you know, most of the the, the world can't get into the tournament, whereas uh, Golf's Ryder Cup event engages two massive continents, and uh, I think that's why it's a, a more successful format. So that would be my idea. Um, what do you feel? I say they should scrap the whole thing. No, I don't think that. Uh, I like Davis Cup. You know, I, I played uh, at a place where Harry Hopman used to coach, and that was kind of something that he used to drum into us. For those of you who don't know who Harry Hopman was, and I'm sure a lot of some groupies are listening, they probably don't understand it. He was a Davis Cup coach of Australia when they were, like, amazing. But anyhow, Davis Cup is very important. But I, I like the country-to-country uh, -country format. I don't like – you put Djokovic and John Isner on the team, now you got two guys from different continents. 
And uh, who's going to want to, what are they going to call themselves? I mean, it's a good idea. My thing would be this. I would run it like Ryder Cup, though, at every, but every two years. And I would do it over a two-week period. And I would do that where they play two out of three, two singles, and the double decides it if it's necessary. Every other day for two weeks, the final being on a weekend. And I would do it every two years rather than every year. And in this way, I would uh, at least have some idea how to keep the participation there. And I, the, but the biggest thing that I would do is drop tennis from the Olympics in order to pull this off. I, I need this to be generated better. I need it to be publicized better. I need people to get excited about it. No one gets excited about Olympic tennis, but they do get excited about Davis Cup. And what I would do is I would bring in that last weekend. I would also bring in the finalists from the other uh, groups and let their countries see their players play on that same weekend that second week could be a week of champions a weekend of champions two out of three same venue and it i think it would be crazy i'm sure people will shoot that idea down but uh the other thing that i have is the uh, surface everyone cries about this surface all the time i would play it on a surface chosen by the itf and not the country i would make them play charge or choose that surface rather than letting countries do it you know i don't like that whole countries choose the surface bit it, it sometimes isn't very fair and uh this way if they put them on a neutral surface i don't even know what that would be anymore but uh, i think it would bode well for the situation what do you think craig i was actually just intrigued when you mentioned uh harry hopman at the start, because the format you suggest isn't too far removed from the Hopman Cup. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept. It's not a very well pub. Again, it's not a very well publicised tournament. It's an exhibition tournament in Australia, just prior to the Australian Open. For anyone who's listening, uh, it, it follows a kind of similar idea to what the Flash was just suggesting. Um, but here you have. Uh, a men's singles, a women's singles, and a mixed doubles. For each team, you have eight countries in a small sort of week-long tournament and uh, a winner sort of at the weekend. Not quite as expansive as, as, as you were suggesting, Phil, but, uh, you know, a, a similar idea. Well, that's where I stole it from. In a way, I've been running those same things for 30 years, you know, with league teams. So uh, that's that's kind of what I, I would do, and that's kind of the vision that I would have for a Davis Cup scenario, is that vision because it seems to me that this that what they have isn't working. I mean, the fans don't really care about it. The players don't really care about it that much. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. And, and it'll shorten the season quite considerably because now you've got these kids playing into December if they're in the finals and you know Roger Federer everyone's going when's Roger Federer going to retire well guess what it ain't going to be long and he's going to play even less next year because he's playing later this season than he ever has you know this is his time to make money playing exhibitions and maybe rest a little bit but it is what it is I, I don't know if it, if they will change it I wish they would and I don't know if my ideas are the best I mean whatever it's just my idea and your ideas are great too and I'm sure you folks listening will probably have a few of your own as well, and we hope to listen to you. And if you've got ideas, share them with us. You can find me over at phil at philnasonsshow.com or 
leave a comment in the show notes and you know we'll get back to you and if you have any questions that you would like to hear answered on the show please send us a line and we'll try to do our best all right craig you know what we're going to wrap it up early today how's that sound it sounds wonderful thank you very much for having me on again phil and my pleasure thank you for being here that was craig doyle my name's phil nasons and you just listened to this week in tennis on max sports channels and the 405 media the talk alternative enjoy the tennis 